You know how at the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, when we read Section 76, and we started out where it, it, sta- it states, you know, this is the only people that won't be saved, and then it goes into great detail. Right. And we said, well, we'll look at the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants through this lens. I wonder if when you read the title page of the Book of Mormon, which was perhaps placed at the beginning for a purpose, I don't know. I don't know why it's there at the very beginning, but it kind of tells what what we're about to read. I wonder if this isn't the lens that it would be good to keep in mind when we read through the entire Book of Mormon. And it's in verse 7 when it says, and it was talking about the purpose of the book, also to the convincing of the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Exactly. That's and that's it. the lens. And that's and that's the lens and the purpose of the Book of Mormon, to convince Jew and Gentile, so nobody's left out, to convince everybody, not just another testament, not just another book of stories. Exactly. But there was a purpose, and it was. it says it was hit up, that they might not be destroyed to come forth by the gift and power of God unto the interpretation thereof even to convince the Jew and the Gentile Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Man, that's, that's and that to be the lens. And then you take off from there and boy. Yeah, you know, the, the title page, it's really interesting you bring that up, Mike, because this week I've been pondering that too. And as you know, I've kind of had this little secret project been scheming and haven't really <laughs> put into place yet. But the the project being, you know, a, a Book of Mormon project, so to speak, that takes the message of the Book of Mormon to the three people that you just mentioned. The the title page mentions three groups of people, the, the Jews, the House of Israel or the Lamanites to the, the remnant and the Gentiles. And when you look in the Book of Mormon, there's promises and foretelling and forecasts of scripture, all of those groups of people. And I just, it is like one of these things, like we've talked about, it's just coming alive to, to see these messages that have been in there since the beginning and how clear they are that, and it all comes back to that message to teach us that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. And I'm Corey Stark. We are coming at you live from the Cottage Studios in Independence, Missouri. Got a little better weather this week. We are here once again to talk about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, since we left off last week, seems like a whole world has transpired and just the thought processes, some meetings we've had with people, uh, some, some mostly, to be honest, some study that Corey's been doing. I'll let him speak to that, but um, we wanted to talk today a little bit, or what I thought this morning, Corey, was to talk a little bit about the story of the restoration and lead into the rest of the story. One of my favorite. I don't know if I don't know if people even remember Paul Harvey anymore. Well, I know a lot of people remember him. Not maybe not the younger generation that are into podcasts, but mm-hmm. but talk about the rest of the story and where we find our hope today. Um, so yeah, some things have happened this week. Um, but we talked about the title page of the Book of Mormon, its purpose. And I know there's a scripture in the Book of Mormon that talks about it being the standard. 
We know the Book of Mormon, we're told in latter days, came forth also to restore plain and precious truths that were removed. And we talked a little bit last time about truth, Corey, about uh, why truth matters and worshiping God, knowing who he is and what his great plan is. But um, I was going to ask you this morning, what was the restoration story that you grew up with? Real concisely, if you if you can think back to when you were a young boy uh, and you heard about the gospel or the church for the first time, Sunday school, what kind of things, what kind of story, what kind of hopes, uh, what kind of things did you know were coming in the future? What were you told growing up? Oh, wow. Yeah, lots of thoughts. I, I don't know in any order, but I can remember uh, when I knew I wanted to be baptized and I was going to be baptized as soon as I could after my eighth birthday. And I remember thinking that I, I realized that Jesus was so important. Um, my mom was in charge of printing up the bulletins for our congregation. And back in those days, someone typed it out on a typewriter, you know, no computers or, you know, uh, copy machines like we know now, but there was this mimeograph uh, machine and you'd run these, these, Pre, the bulletins already had the picture on the cover, and then you'd kind of run them through this little machine, and it would spit them out, yeah. and you'd do that at church. Well, because my mom was in charge of the bulletins in that time of my life, I remember going to church that Sunday, and we were working on the bulletins, and I got to choose the bulletin that we were going to use for that Sunday, the day I was going to be baptized. And I remember it had this big picture of Jesus, and I knew mm. that it was just like it was so important. And so, wow. you know, I'd heard— I'd, I'd heard stories. I, I, I had a very loving grandfather who, um, my mom's dad, who who loved the Lord. He was a sweet, sincere man. And um, I can remember hearing him tell me stories about Jesus and scriptures, and he could explain things so well. You know, I, I knew the church had been restored, and somehow I knew that was a good thing that we were a part of it, although I, I can't claim I, I knew a lot of what it meant. Although I, I remember, the you know, hearing the stories of, of Joseph Smith and the plates and it all, it was all something I never doubted. You know, I never, never, um, lost sight of that. I heard about Zion and I, and I knew of, you know, these, these kind of big topics we hear of. Um, but it all kind of like swirled around in my head. I think even into my adult years where I don't know, I guess as we've talked, Mike, sometimes as, as you, kind of come close to the Lord, you realize the story is always bigger, always bigger than anything you knew. And, and there's a bigger topic. There's a bigger, there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger agenda. I, I think in, in my growing up years, I guess what would have changed was I always thought the message was just like, Hey, God created this church and I hope, hope you find it because if you don't, you know, too bad for you. And that was maybe a harsh way to put it, but I realized that God's purpose was to save everyone who will come to him. And this church had a, had a work and has a work in doing that. And so much of it was through the Book of Mormon coming back to the world. I think what's changed for me is I, I, I thought in my early years that the Book of Mormon was just something he kind of gave for us because gave to us because we were the restored church and we got this special message, not realizing how important it is in the prophecies contained in the Book of Mormon that this word goes back out to the world. So I, I guess, you know, my, my thoughts growing up were always believing in God and believing that Zion was coming to the earth and having this 
plan to be with God again someday. I think I think I always felt that, but I just never realized how big and huge it is. And 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 I think also along with that was just this whole idea that um, you know it wasn't just that I had to believe in God, but yet this idea that. And this is something that I haven't realized until my my recent years that I had no chance to be with God unless there was a sacrifice, you know, and, and unless there this sacrifice was eternal. I think that's probably the biggest understanding in my life now since my early years is the the magnitude of what my sin meant and the um, just profound. Uh, gift that our Savior did for us in making it so we could come back. You you mentioned a lot of things that were very similar to mine. That you talked about that mimeograph machine. Yeah, yeah. My grandma was the one that did the bulletins. <laughs> and I remember she had these big cans of I don't even know what it was, but she poured them into this machine. Right, and right. It, it wasn't black ink, and it wasn't it was like, it was like purple. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And she would spit the bulletins. Yeah, yep. yeah. You just hand crank it, and they'd go yeah. through. Yeah, like, and I can re- I can remember if I walked into that room today, that smell uh-huh. of the acid. I don't know if it was acid. I don't know what it was. It was it was just yeah. She had that little machine set up, and she yeah. would crank out the bulletins every week. So my story was similar, you know. My mom and dad both worked when I was younger, so my, my sister and I on Sunday nights would stay overnight with my grandma, and on Wednesday nights after church, we'd stay overnight with my aunt. And both of those ladies, they were sisters. They lived across the street from each other in this little town of 1,500 people. My grandma was born there. She died there, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would tell me stories of the restoration. Mm. You know, they would tell me stories of Oscar Case and Charles Derry and the great missionaries, J.J. Cornish. Uh, and to a young boy, those were fanciful stories. I mean, you know, when I can remember laying in bed at night and she would be telling me the stories of, you know, the, this plague of grasshoppers coming across the plains, you know, and the saints would pray and they would they would go up in the air and, and went over their field and spared them. And I... Uh, I had the story of my great grandfather that uh, worked with the townspeople to bring this church two miles into town with horses, pulling this church on these big logs, rolling it wow. from one to the other, and uh, how the townspeople didn't want the quote Mormons in their town, and so they had got together to tar and feather them. And this big storm came and dispersed the crowd, and they brought the church into town. And how they, you know, they they went out. It's just like you hear. They went out and broke the ice on the on the local pond and were baptized in. I hear these stories and they were, they shaped who I was. You know, I had also, there's this other word, Zion. Mm -hmm. We had songs in this hymnal about Zion. And when I was growing up, Zion was this wonderful city that we were going to build where Jesus was going to be. And it was kind of the end. It was like, this is what our goal is to build Zion, to build Mm -hmm. Zion. And I wanted to move to Independence, Missouri, because I was told that's where Zion's going to start. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm here, and that's probably why our paths have crossed, because yeah. eventually my mom and dad moved from Ohio, the great state of Ohio, to yeah. Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in there. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> my brother, the great state of Michigan, Corey, made it here for the same reasons. And, you know, I heard those stories, and this week, early, I had a very early visit this week, and I pulled into a community of Christ Church into the parking lot down the road from where I was going to go see this patient because I was a little early. And as I pulled in there, my heart was drawn out to this elder gentleman in our church that passed away this year. Mm. 
and he was a high priest in the church. And I remember having uh, cottage meetings. Not, no, that's the wrong word. Priesthood visits in his home and listening to him share about when he was a younger priesthood member. Mm. And uh, it was interesting because all of the trials and things I thought I was going through, and I thought this was a man from this great generation, yeah, in which yeah, he was, but yeah. he went through those trials too. He says, you think your meetings are poorly attended? He goes, it was the same way when I was going. <laughs> and uh, I felt this common bond with him, but also you're looking at 70, 80 years of service and hopes for what's coming. Yeah. And, uh, and also uh, just years of knowledge of testimonies like I grew up with, mm-hmm. this man was part of. It was very interesting. Even it was a miracle how he and his wife got together. She was an Amish lady, and um, and I may have her on one of these days. But anyway, I pulled into that parking lot, and I was thinking about him and his passing away, and, and a lot of people like him, my grandparents, you know, your your grandparents. And I thought, Corey, how, how do we find hope in this generation without negating the wonderful things, the wonderful hopes and stories that, people like him grew up with because yeah. it's very easy to uh, to wipe that out and say, hey, we were wrong all along oh, and we had man. our misfocus. But the thing is, there were miracles. God was alive and working in the early church. There is no doubt about it. There are countless testimonies that we've grown up with. And that doesn't need to change. But, exactly. but, I, but at the same time as those things were happening, as it is – with all mankind throughout history, when God works among a people and they're blessed, things switch in your mind and you you can't help but think, well, we must be on the right track. We're special. We have this mission. And we were given so much baggage in a wonderful way with the Book of Mormon, but it was this great knowledge that uh, this work had to go forth. Yeah, And here we are, a group of people tasked with doing this, and uh, and there's a place in the Book of Mormon that talks about the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled, and, and we can discuss where we're at in that timeline. But basically, the mission that we understood probably hasn't taken place the way it could have or the way it should have. So I just won't beat yeah. around the bush. I think we need to shift our focus without making people feel bad about our history or saying none of that wasn't important because it, it is so very important. And it's so very wonderful, and it strengthened my faith and made me who I am. But I also need to think about where we're going now and how we bring hope yes. to people that are falling away from the church and let them know that there's a bigger picture. Yes. You know, um, my story is the same way. I, I'm sitting here with you this morning, Mike, because of those testimonies of people that have now preceded us to their reward. You know, in my hometown, which was a little bigger than yours in, in Ohio, but you know, we had maybe uh, 30,000 people or so. Um, there, the Michigan community of, of saints in that day was strong. I mean, as far as just population and numbers, I think, you know, you had like Missouri has the highest population. Iowa was maybe the second and Michigan was a third. Um, but there was a man, J.J. Cornish, who had done a lot of missionary work in the turn of the century and who, um, you know, I, 
I went to church and camps with grandchildren of families who were all converted by him. And so we, and not just him, but he was a notable missionary, a strong missionary effort in those days. Um, there were a lot of RLDS churches. Most of them were small in the communities, but there was a presence throughout the state and there was a bond and you could go anywhere to any of those congregations and immediately feel at home. Um, my grandfather was a minister in in those days too, and and I heard stories of him that he could arrive at a congregation, and then when they'd see that he was just visiting that day, they'd ask him if he'd preach that day, you know, just to share the word. and And I, I respected that. Um, he had some profound miracles and and stories that were in our family, his personally and his mother's. I, I won't detail all of them, but you know, he was even visited by what we believe was either an angel or one of the Nephites on a, on a road when he was stuck in the winter all by himself. And, and someone was instantly there and helped him get unstuck and shared a few words. And then that person was gone, no tracks in the snow or anything. And so those were stories I grew up with. But in my, <clears throat> uh, in my hometown, we, and, and this is, you know, it's just how it was back then in the in the seventies and the eighties when I lived there. Um, our our church was a fairly large church as far as a building, and it was kind of a cool design. One of the an architect who was actually a understudy of Frank Lloyd Wright back in the day um, designed the church. So it was kind of a cool building. Um, I've heard since it's actually been sold because the congregation just dwindled. But nevertheless, in that day, there was a a lot of people there, but my point is you could go to the church any time of the day or night and go inside. It was never locked. I, I don't, and it, and it wasn't any different at our home. If we had house keys, no one knew where they were, uh, you know, and, and I always knew where my dad's car keys were because they were always left in the ignition in his car in the driveway. No one ever thought of, you know, vandalizing or theft, but, but I remember you could just go to our church anytime. And, and my friend and I, we would do that. Uh, we would just go to the church sometimes and talk and think it was really cool that, you know, God had, set the church in order. But one of the things that happened in, in my youth that made a, a big difference, and, and I suggest this, if there's any youth leaders here or, or someone who's just listening who might even want to try this in their family, um, we had a, a Zions League leader in my high school years, this was you know, late 70s, early 80s, who had his finger on the pulse of what you were just saying, Mike, and how it's so important we understand our heritage and and not just our heritage, but the sacrifice of people who have gone on before us to provide what we have and the truth that we have, whether everything's been on target or not, these people were sincere in their love for the Lord. But what this, our youth leader did, and there was only like a handful of us kids in high school at, at this point in time in, in our local congregation. But um, he realized that the story of the power and the miracles and the personal testimonies of God dealing with in the lives of people was still alive in the, in the senior citizens, if you will, of our congregation. But there were people who honestly, I didn't even probably know their name. I'd probably pass them going in to sit with my friends and in church. And they were just, you know, gray haired people kind of quietly sitting in the corner and they would faithfully come to church. Well, what he did was uh, unlike so many youth group things where it's, Hey, it's roller skating night. I mean, we did that kind of stuff too, but, he organized us, and, and it was a simple plan. Uh, we, for a, a couple of years, we would meet at the church, and it was a, it was a once-a-month activity where we, the high school kids, would make a meal that we would take two by two, and we would go to the homes of one of these older saints, someone who, you know, a widower, some guy in his you know, late 80s, whatever, had grown up in the church, 
didn't preach or teach. You never, you didn't even know the guy's name, but we were sent to his home to share a meal with him and hear his story. And, and we, and, and Mike, today I still think back on stories I heard in the homes of some of these forgotten saints, and they all had powerful testimonies of healings and miracles and angels. And it was like, it was the fabric of, of the church, and it was, it was alive, but it was quickly being forgotten or relegated to these are just old people, you know. And so he had us visit pretty much every retired person who was in the congregation. Now, I don't know that I got to them all personally, but our group did. And we would come back and we would share the stories of the, of the saints that we had heard. And you even use that term, stories of the saints. Stories of the saints. Yeah, and, and that's... That, to me, I still carry some of these testimonies with me today. And I would just suggest that if there's anyone listening who, hey, you're working with the youth, um, the stories are still alive today. Uh, I'm just going to add this on. I, I don't even know that I, I need details to share of it other than I was I was saddened to hear a brother speaking in a, in a community of Christ service who he was a youth leader at a camp and he said one time he was asked by the camp kids in like an evening chats this question. He said, hey, the kids asked this question of the, of the youth leader at the camp. Hey, we've heard there's like really cool stories of like miracles and powerful things in our church, but we never hear anyone talk about them. Can you tell us some of these? And so he, he starts sharing some things that he knew from his youth. And I, I just felt so bad that there are places where, you know, it's, it's quickly forgotten and and that's probably what happened after Jesus had been with the Nephites. You know, you mentioned Moroni and how he's signing off to this civilization who's just, again, been at war with each other. But at one time, they had had Christ in their presence and they were blessed. Eventually, people forget the stories and they're not told. And, and those the powerful things, the witness of, of Jesus and the personal testimony gets lost. Yeah. Corey, do you think, I do have a, a segment of the podcast called stories of the saints, because I believe today there are stories and we've kind of mixed some younger generation to some older generation. And we've mixed in uh, lifetimes of stories and people that are just looking forward for most of their life, like young Zoe and things. Um, stories take on a, a place in our lives. They, they live. I, I love a story. I love talking with people and hearing how they view life, how they interact, you know, with the Holy Spirit. Um, what do you think these stories, these stories have a place in our lives, but without negating those stories, we also are called, have a great calling. Every single follower of Christ has one great calling, and that is to allow Jesus Christ to transform your heart and that you are commanded to love other people and to love your God just the way he loved you. And how did he love you? He came down here and died and suffered and walked in flesh, not just died, but walked in flesh and understood sin, understood uh, temptation, um, understood what it was like to uh, suffer. Um, and to just, it says to, to, he knows how to sucker us. He knows how to help us because he experienced that. And ultimately, he, as Corey, as you said, he was eternal. He died so that we could be with him and so that we would not remain in the grave. That's the great story. But that is that transformation that needs to take place, our capacity to love, our capacity to not be self-centered has to grow every single, uh, you know, as we go through life. So 
we have to take these stories. And I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we worship the stories. Like as I was a young kid, to me, it was like, I just want to live in this city where these miracles take place. And that's the young kid's imagination. That's like, I want to live where, you know, like, like my little town where our doors are unlocked and where everybody does a job that they're good at and where we come together and we eat together and we play together and, you know, nobody dies and there's no sickness and there's no hurt, you know, and that's, I believe that childlike desire has to be placed in each one of us. But we also have a maturing as we walk through this world that we see the effects of sin and we realize how powerful the flesh is and that God's way uh, is really hard to follow, and, and and we have to become disciplined in following His way. And as we grow, our 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 understanding matures, and we realize there's more to it than just the city and living with Jesus. That <laughs> there's a lot that takes place in order for that to happen. And and one of the things I discovered in this past uh, couple years, as I went through the Book of Mormon again, I always thought Zion was at the end, but it's. It's not that in the timeline. It's at the beginning of the end, if you want to say it that way. But it's at the beginning of like when all the great things begin to happen. Exactly. If, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah, exactly. That's been a revelation to me too, because I think the telling of the story. You know, we we picked out about three of the main bullet points and would tell tell those ones. And and some of those bullet points of history being like, okay. Uh, God restored the church. Um, God brought the Book of Mormon. Um, independence is going to be the center place, and that's where Zion's going to be. And that's kind of where we'd hear, and that's where the story would end. <clears throat> but then all of a sudden you can go through the Book of Mormon, and you realize that there's about 50 other bullet points that are as important in the timeline that point to when that gathering occurs, who does it, how it happens, why it happens, and then from there that the work begins, and the specific word used in the Book of Mormon is commence. That's when right. the work commences, when, when it goes out. Uh-huh. So I guess what what all of this talking, and this has been good to talk about these, these um, miracles, these stories that we've grown up with, and um, so what we're saying is like, as I pulled into that church this morning and I saw that building there and it just reminded me of the saints of years gone by. And I thought of this gentleman who had passed away this year and the time I'd spent with him talking, how do we shift? Basically, if you're looking at this linear thing, which I always do, how do we take the timeline of Zion and move it and then focus on the rest of the story that comes after so that we still find hope? Because I don't see my generation or other people as actually building this city. I don't see how all of these different branches of saints and things are going to come together and set aside our differences and learn how to love and form Zionic businesses and, you know, physically establish a city called Zion so that Jesus can return. I think miracles and suffering and all of these things coming together, uh, I think we're in for a wild ride, but shifting our focus from the end result of building Zion to Christ taking his gospel and having all the Jews and the house of Israel and all of these millions and billions of people accept him as the Christ, as the eternal God, yeah. watching that shape the world. Yes, yes. And having Jesus, Jesus is going to be at the helm of this great movement. Right. Now that's exciting story that, that we can still get behind without negating our past, without hurting people's feelings. Can we shift our focus in the restoration as to what's the rest of the story. Right. And so you bring up a great point, Mike. And I think there's there's two things I'd I'd add 
in, in this is that our anytime people come to Christ in sincerity, you're, you're going to see the result of that, the miracles and the power. And yet in every place in, in biblical history or Book of Mormon history, you see that when God blesses his people, eventually they forget him. Helaman 4 mentions, hey, there's this time where God will bless you in every way and in, in, in prosperity, and that's the very time people forget God. Well, one thing that happens is that we get these blessings, and like you pointed out, then we kind of think the stories about us, you know, from uh, Alma 16, we get this maybe a little bit of Zoramite attitude, but from there, and this is this is where I think we've we've gone. We begin combining our our successful spiritual heritage with an oral tradition that we start explaining that replaces or supplants sometimes the actual message of the scripture. And this is where I think our church and our generation or recent generations has has gone a little astray. It's that we've, we've seen the miracles. We've seen the power that God worked in the lives of people that have gone before us and even now, but yet I think we've lost hold of what the message in the actual book of Mormon specifically has been saying and is still saying all along. So we start telling this oral tradition of what we think is going to happen and what the scriptures actually say are, are two different stories. That's that's the problem. So the second thing I was going to say is this remedy is to just go back to the word, hold on to the, the fact that everything that God said and did and promised is true, but let's verify what he said and did and promised in the scriptures and see what that message actually is. Because honestly, when and I've been doing this in my own personal journey of study when I read that story versus what I've been told the story is, kind of the oral tradition, the real story in the scripture is much more powerful. I mean, there's there's a lot to come. And, and just like you mentioned about Zion, <clears throat> it's not the end of the story. It's it's the beginning. I mean, that's that's kind of a great, it, it's, it, it's a great thing to point out that we've told that story as if, well, you know, we're just sitting around hoping for Zion to kind of fall out of the sky and then and then everything's good from there and not realizing that that's just a signpost when when a city is established of righteousness, that's so that the great work can begin. And, and the Lord uses terms like, I will set my hand a second time mm-hmm. to recover the lost and fallen. A signpost. It's a signpost, but not, right. But not the, not the uh, eternal destination, but... In a sense, it is. In a sense, it is because it's the kingdom being lived out here on earth. But but it's the beginning of a of a maybe a more magnificent work that I than I maybe that's the best way to say it. That growing up, it was I was just very my you know very narrow minded, very small, very focused on right the Book of Mormon, the restoration, and not the the message therein. But isn't that what do you expect? But but not just me though, even people in the church. And as I grew up, that focus remained. I could tell we're not going to get to the, I think that'll be a great place to start on our next episode, but, but we have a little bit left time. And I just wanted to give an example, you know, a number of years ago, a friend of mine and I, we went out and did some missionary work with an organization. We uh, traveled to a small town in Iowa 
And there was a great minister in this town, and he's still alive today, Brother Francis Harper. His nephew just preached at our congregation last week, Mike, Brother Mike, Brother Mike Moores. He, he has a great relationship with that town. He knows the townspeople. He has a business in that town. Countless stories Brother Francis would share with us of people coming into his little grain shop in the morning, and he would share with them. And the testimonies and the miracles of Jesus working in their lives, and he would just share one after another. And it was like, you know, the gospel's alive and working and with this man today. And he still sends out uh, little messages on email every couple of weeks of hope for people well, while we were there with Brother Francis, he had some serious contacts with us for uh, people that he wanted us to share the gospel with. Well, the only materials we had is what we used, and we went into these homes, and they were not members of the church, but they knew Francis, and we shared the gospel with them. And I will tell you, we had—these um, are from different families. We had a, a young guy named J.L. He was baptized. We had a guy that we lived with that was just a farmer— uh, he was baptized. We had uh, a family of four, uh, two, a young girl, a boy, and mom and dad. They were baptized. We had a family of uh, two with uh, two little little boys, a uh, husband and wife, baptized. These were all non-members in a community. Mm-hmm. And we were all going in. We were just going in and sharing the message. Now, um, when I look back on it, what what makes me sad is did I set them up for the rest of the story, did I talk to them enough about their relationship with Jesus? Because we did go through materials that showed like how, you know, Christ came and how the church went through the dark ages and fell away. And then it was restored. And we showed all the branches of the different denominations and, you know, and then we talked about eternal life and the book of Mormon and priesthood authority. And and we showed a picture of the church, you know, with all the priesthood offices. Well, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of uh, a broken story now if you look at that because that isn't even, you know, present with us. Uh, and you and I come from different churches, but, uh, I mean, your community of Christ. So the offices are there, but certainly the power within the church is not the same, if we, we would agree on that. So all that being said, Corey, um, we were still focused on the story maybe with uh, Zion and the restoration being at the end of the timeline. And I wish that we would have showed it as a shift is like, this is this great thing that we're working towards, but the rest of the story is this gospel is going to change the world, right? It's still going to change the world and Christ is going to finish his work. And, uh, you know, in, in, as the book of Mormon says, the great eternal God came down and died for our sins and, and that relationship that needs to take place on the inside. And so, the story, um, I think, for our people today, the story needs to change. Uh, one of our leaders in our ministry at the church I go to sent out an email this week, and this also got me thinking. Um, and he asked, what would bring value to the meetings that we're attending? And I, th- I thought that was a great question, and, and what a caring thing to think about for the men. And I've been thinking about that. What would bring value to me? is that as men and as leaders, as a priesthood, that we just take an honest look at the rest of the story and where the church is sitting now and maybe re-look at our framework and and how can we best minister to the people. And I believe it has to include the rest of the story of this gospel going forth and where we're at in the timeline and that it's okay um that we focus on our heritage at the same time, it's okay to acknowledge that we fell into some ruts and some pathways that every group of people have fallen into throughout history. And, and to, 
to look at that honestly without feeling bad about ourselves. Right. You know, you Remember, know I was just going to add, <clears throat> I think one of the things that changed for me growing up um, was I, I came away with this understanding that we were, you know, we as the church were special to God. And then I realized through the sacrifice of Christ, all humanity is special to that's God. That's exactly what, yeah. And, and, and that's the message that I've realized through the Book of Mormon. That's what I didn't understand. The whole purpose of Zion is not just to reward people who somehow found him or specifically align themselves with the church that was established among the Gentiles. And we can explain what that means later as we get deeper into scripture about it. But but this fact that the purpose for Zion wasn't just to reward a few people who gathered to the center place and then the doors are closed. The purpose for Zion was it was going to be the the place, it was like, you know, where all the world can come to to learn of God. Isaiah two is it's beautiful where it speaks of, you know, Zion would be established in the top of the mountains and all nations would mm-hmm. flow unto it. And and this purpose, it's like God's, you know, welcome reception, you know, to the world for those who will have him. Eventually Jesus reigns in the flesh he, over the world. He is the political leader, the social leader, the spiritual leader of the world. And every knee, every tongue bows, every tongue confesses that he is the ruler. It's going to be something unlike anything the world's ever known. And and Zion begins to open that up to the world. It wasn't just like, hey, if you didn't know about Zion and didn't know about the church, well, too bad. Um, no, it was for the purpose of going out to do exactly what the Book of Mormon teaches. And this is what I didn't understand. Send the word to first the the remnant of Joseph's people, the descendants of the Nephites. They have a promise in this. And Zion would be to send that word out to them, to send the word out to the lost tribes of Israel, who if you do the math today, number in the billions of people, but they, they are part of a covenant that was made through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who these covenants haven't been forgotten. The Book of Mormon stresses that. To send the word, word out to, to the Jews who many at this day still do not understand that God came down and became the sacrifice for sin for them, for you and for me. And, and to, to all the Gentiles of the world who, who weren't part of the lineage, but yet because a soul of a human being is as precious to God, no matter who you were born to or where you live or what your last name is or what your skin color is, male or female, that all these souls are precious. And Zion becomes the this signpost to the world that God loves you and his arm is extended to you. And, and eventually when this millennial reign begins, I mean, it's, it's the thing that starts it, right. it off eventually. And you said <clears throat> at the beginning of that, you, you said something exactly what I was going to, we addressed this a couple of episodes ago. Don't feel bad when you realize that God loves everybody the same. We spend so much time trying to prove ourselves to God and like, you know, I'm special. I'm special, and it's like once you realize that you're not special, or or once you realize that yes, you are so special, and everybody else is too. You don't have to prove anything anymore. It's it's like this absolutely. He's not like your boss at work. He's not like your, you know, he doesn't have favorites. 
You don't have to impress him. You don't have to try to stand out. He loves you for who you are and who he he created you with, with special talents and gifts. Right. He loves you for what he created you to be. Allow him to make you into what he wants you to be. And don't try to be anybody else. Once we realize that, the pressure comes off. Once we realize as a church, we aren't going to do this on our own. There's other people that are going to help, and God's going to bring them into the mix the pressure's off. It's like, allow us to be and to do what we can do today, yeah. but don't try to do more. Don't fight with each other and say, no, we have to do it our way, and we have the authority and all that. It's just never going to work. But but when we realize that our part, God loves everybody the same, there's other people coming to help. One thing, I think we'll end with this because we're almost out of time, I think, for this episode. But, Corey, one thing I wanted to bring out without going into it in detail, just within the last couple of years, this whole thing in Brazil, and, we, and people know what we're talking about with uh, different movements down there. I think one of our brothers said it best this week. One thing's clear. Our people are not ready for any type of miraculous movement outside of our own center can't, focus. We, right. We've been myopic. We can't see it any other way. And I shouldn't say all of our people, but as a whole, we are very quick to reject the movement of God. And we, have to change that focus. We have to be willing, and not just willing, we need to be on our knees praying that God will finish his work, involve whoever he needs to involve. We don't have to prove we're right or we're special because we hold the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. We just need to say, Lord, let us play our part. Show us what we can do and quit quit trying to... Uh, just go along with this plan yeah. without sitting back and doing nothing. I mean, remember, as we do this, personally, each one of us has to be transformed into loving little creatures. So <laughs> That's it all it goes hand in hand, but there's plenty of work to do in the meantime. But also, let uh, anyway, so this change of heart, though, <clears throat> it's where it begins personally for all of us. And when we do exactly like you said, Mike, where all of a sudden we realize, hey, it's it's not about me and it's not that I'm special over someone else. But when we realize, no, God's pursuit is for all of us and, and he's told this plan how it's going to happen from the beginning. Like you say, it kind of takes the pressure off. I, I think the key is to return back to what the Book of Mormon said. You know, as long as congregations are trying to to infight among each other and argue over petty things and can't even sit on the same pew and worship together. And I'm speaking about, you know, a lot of congregations I've heard in, in the restoration kind of uh, dealing with just sometimes pettiness. Um, don't fool yourself into thinking, Oh, well, God's just waiting on you. And when you, you know, when you get it figured out, then he's going to take the next step because it's it's happening. I, I was moved by a, a testimony, and I don't know, maybe we can share some of it uh, next time, of a Jewish scientist, yes. a very notable yeah. scientist. Yeah, I want to get into that. I want that to have its own place. Yeah, yeah, have its own place where, I mean, all of a sudden this guy shares his testimony that, you know, he had never heard of Jesus. Then all of a sudden he's praying and, and Jesus comes to him and he realizes that it was God who came down and sacrificed himself for us. I mean, I share this because... People who you thought were the lost and, and fallen and could never find God without us, all of a sudden God's revealing himself to them in powerful ways while we're sitting here arguing over just minutiae that doesn't matter. Right, right. Well, brother, let's, uh, we have set the stage. I thought maybe we would set the stage in 10 minutes, but we've taken pretty much the whole episode, and, and that's fine because let's. we've set the stage to move on, I think, 
and just discuss the rest of the story and some of those things that we've been uh, looking into this past week. And just remind each other one more time, our heritage is wonderful and uh, the future is wonderful and full of hope. And we can't, um, we don't want to negate anything that's happened. We want to shift our focus to just look with open eyes and open hearts at what God's doing, where he's moving, what his plan is going forth for the restoration for the rest of the world. And, um, and that's it. And we'll get into some of this in the next episode. I am thankful for my heritage. I am so thankful for the reunion one day in heaven I'm going to have with my grandma and aunt again and thank them for sharing Jesus and the miracles that they did. Um, I know you feel the same way, Corey, and uh, all of the people that have given their life's work to the gospel. Um, it still is It's going to go forth. God's work will not be frustrated. Uh, you know, a brother said a lot about the, the R words, the re, reorganize, restructure, re, that God is going to come and he's going to establish. Establish. He's going to establish his church once again, and it's going to be in power. And We have hope. We're going to talk more about that hope next time. Anything else, brother? No, that's good. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.